Oh, hey guys, over here. Oh, hey, mate. <laughs> hey, bruv. Oh, hi there, lads. How's it going over here? Oh, uh, it's great to have my friends here. People I know really well, I feel comfortable around. We all sound the same. That's right. We all have the same accent. It's perfect. That's my favorite thing about us. It's one of the things we all have in common. So, to celebrate our friendship, where do you guys want to go uh, for holiday this year? Oh, I have a good idea. I was thinking we could go on a driving trip of Ireland. Oh, yeah? Yeah? Yeah, you know, just drive around the country, see the sights, do all the things. Nah, nah, nah. I, I, I'm not so sure about Ireland, because they got clovers and seal people. Seal people? <laughs> Oh, the Kelpies, right. Yeah, see, I, I don't even want to know. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I guess we can't do that. Okay, wait, I know. We could take a train to Romania. Nice train uh, trip. I don't know. That seems like a dangerous idea. They got Draculas there. Oh, shit, you're right. Yeah, they've also got the Wolfmen, the Hound Boys. <laughs> we might become the Dracula slave or... Yeah. Next victim. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get... I Basically, anywhere we go, I want there to be no monsters. Yeah, if a Dracula bit me, it'd ruin my trip. Oh, what about we do a hike in the uh, wilderness of uh, Sweden? Hey, that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds really nice. Actually peaceful, relaxing. And we'd be totally safe there. No monsters whatsoever. Good point. That's my favorite part about Sweden. I think a hike in Sweden will leave us happy, healthy, and alive. No, oh, that's perfect. Ah, oh, skull! Skull! Cheerio! Dark fantasy fans, and welcome to Scares and Satire, the podcast where we turn spooky low fantasy into horrific high art. I'm your zombified dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, and I am here with my monstrous co-hosts. I'm Cassidy my pronouns are they, them, and I'm a tree, and uh, I not only get to feast on sunlight and rain, but I also get a little bit of extra blood every now and then, you know? Oh, very nice. Yeah. How does that work out for you? I can't process it, but it just makes the ground a little bit more comfy for me and my roots, you know? Sounds nice. Sweet yeah. deal. Yeah, maybe someday I'll learn how to, you know, eat it. Zombie tree or <laughs> vampire trees? Yeah, you got it. We got there. Nutrients have to come from somewhere. It's true. You can just take them wherever you can. <laughs> 
Well, who are you? Oh, me? I'm Jack Olander. My pronouns are any and all. And uh, I am a Swedish uh, park ranger and a trail guide. Nice. That's not like a nice, easy, stress-free job. Oh, yeah. No, uh, a lot of tourists come by, a lot of uh, British, American, you know, all sorts of tourists. And uh, I just tell them where the hiking trails are. And, uh, you know, there's there's an incredibly dangerous section of the woods. So you just keep them to steer clear from that, right? I mean, there's no reason to warn them about it. I didn't tell them to go in the woods. Uh, that's fair. So I just keep it to myself, you know? Yeah. Why would I even have to warn them if there's no chance they're going to go in? True. That's sound logic to me. Yeah, even yeah. though the trail is, like, right on the edge. But, like, why would you go in? It's You don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> so my job is really easy. Nice. <laughs> oh, that sounds nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, guys... I'm really excited because this spooky season, we actually got to watch five dark fantasy movies for the podcast. And this week, we are doing another David Bruckner film. We loved Hellraiser so much. We had to yeah. follow up with another of his films. This one, uh, not a brand new film, but instead a modern classic from 2017, The Ritual. Yeah. It's so good, and this was the one Jack picked. Oh, yeah. It's brucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Brucking A, man. Yeah. Nice. So, like I said, this film was directed by David Bruckner. It stars Raffi Small, Archer Alley, Robert James Collier, and Sam Troughton. Pretty light cast. Mm. No, other than that, mostly trees and some rocks and little squirrels. The wind. Yeah, heads up. There's nature in this movie. Yeah. Oh, if you have um if you have some kind of nature phobia, this is not the movie for you. And it is oppressive, for sure. The nature is? Uh-huh. Oh yeah. The nature just beats the hell out of you. Mm-hmm. Every scene practically. It just leaves dirt all over the place. The character's suffering is our suffering. <laughs> See, this is why I like to stay home and, like, just play video games safely from the comfort of my own chair. You'll never have to deal with an (laughs) unaccounted for rainstorm. I only get covered in mud on my own account. That's right. Well, I've got a lot I want to say about this film, but before we do that, we should probably summarize this bad boy. This movie is also oppressively British. It's true. We have a group of five friends in Britain. That's where British people come from. Except pretty soon it's four friends. Oh, no. Yeah. I hope their fifth friend is okay. Well, Luke, that's sort of the main character. He just doesn't know when to stop partying, you know? And uh, Yeah. He ends up getting his friend Robert killed. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Our nar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
glad that we're giving this film the dignity it deserves as a uh, as a meditation on trauma and loss. We're like, Haha, it's British. <laughs> That's where Austin Powers is from. <laughs> Is that our cultural touchstone for British people? <laughs> yes. Fucking Michael Myers is Canadian. <laughs> so he just does not know when to stop partying. That's yeah. Right. After about half a year of grieving, they decide to honor their friend's memory by going on a nice and safe hike in Sweden on the King's Trail. Nice, peaceful place. Nothing bad ever happens there. Except for the occasional, you know... Rain. Yeah, I mean, everywhere rains. Well, not here. Not here in California. No, we're we, in a fire biome. That's right. But you know what could happen anywhere? You just, like, step wrong and your <laughs> knee just explodes yeah. out yeah. your body. Poor yeah. dog. <laughs> I think he didn't bring a hood either, so he was just, like, getting rained on. No, he had a hood, I think. I feel, like I, okay. I feel like I can see Dom in a hood. Well, he's off in the rain on people's parades, so he might not have thought he needed a hood. Yeah. Well, let, let's go over our principal characters here. Okay. We've got Luke, like Cass said, kind of the main character in a way. There's His oh. main trait is that he's kind of a coward. Yeah, he's dealing with that. Yeah. There's Hutch, who I like to call the Jamie character. He's always right, but nobody listens to him. And he might be bisexual. Oh. <laughs> I might have missed that uh, undertone. Yeah. A titillating twist. Yeah, there's a one, titty twist, as we call it. There's <laughs> one point in the movie where he's like, we might get each other off tonight. And the friends are like, oh, yeah, right. And he's kind of like, yeah, but I mean, what if he wasn't like, what if we made out in the spooky shed? <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. He wasn't like trying to play it off. He was serious. He was only half joking. OK, he okay. was kind of testing the waters. <laughs> and then there's of Dom. course Dom Dom who not short for dominant but for Dominic yes. he's more of a sub <laughs> which one is he? he's the one who hurts his knee oh yeah he's the one whose knees are made of explodium <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah. it's true then there's Phil who kind of, you know, goes into trances and worships pagan gods. Oh man, Phil's got like the best role. He's agnostic but looking to mingle. <laughs> and then there's Robert who lives with the angels, I guess. <laughs> Nicely said. <laughs> So the lads uh, set out on their journey and build a nice little memorial to Robert on the mountaintop. Oh, yeah. Movie and, over, right? Well, after that is when, as Jack mentioned, Dom's knees exploded, or one knee in particular. <laughs> Just one of them. And, um... Dude, so he, like, kind of, like, steps weird and falls over, and you're like, oh, okay, that doesn't seem so bad. And then later on, when they show him in his zip-offs, his knee is, like purple like bruised completely around it looked like somebody took a mallet to his leg yeah what was that movie misery yes oh god oh fuck my shenanigans <laughs> um and so he's being a real sub and <laughs> no i'm just kidding slander to all the subs i know let's not hurt any of our listeners feelings <laughs> They'll come. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't. 
Maybe I did, maybe this is more for the Dell, but I didn't find Dom as like oppressively annoying this time. I was kind of like, you know what? As I'm approaching forty, I get it. Well, yeah, also, it's true. Um, having seen the movie before and seeing how fucked his leg actually really is, yeah. I I understand that he's not faking it like they all think he is. Yeah. yeah. They're like, oh, fucking dog. It's like, motherfucker, look at my leg. It has exploded out of my body. They didn't see it for a while, like the whole first day. And uh, after that, they're like, oh, this is really serious. But at first they're treating it like, you know, they're used to him being kind of thin skinned, I think. And uh, complaining a lot. Well, he is a businessman, so he can get so it all. Because he kind of makes a habit of complaining they don't realize when he really needs help. The boy who cries oof. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so they decide to take a shortcut. Always a good idea. Through that nice forest there. Wait, isn't Dom literally the one who says, like, if it was actually a shortcut, it'd be called the route? Yeah, uh, but that yeah. isn't until they've been in the forest for a full on day and a half and they get lost, which he helps contribute to. That's okay. They find a nice, comfortable cabin to yeah. pop into and relax for the and night. They found that right after they passed by some rune carved trees. And little do they know that after that point, it's kind of all over for them. They also have spotted some of the local wildlife. They see an elk impaled on tree <laughs> branches 30 feet off the ground. Oh, yeah, that's my cousin. Very normal things. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm a tree, remember? Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Okay. Yeah, I don't think your cousin put that elk there. No, but he wears them really well. True. Also, don't blame me for them walking into the forest. I never told them to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, when they're in that cabin, things get pretty sus. They have, They all have nightmares. They all wake up in various states of uh, distress. Hutch yes. peed his pants. Hutch peed his Well, okay. Let, let's go down the list. Luke, like, wanders out, sleepwalks into the forest and gets stabbed in the chest March. by... Yeah, marked by something that we don't know yet. That he couldn't see. Hutch wakes up to pee-pee. <laughs> Hutch wakes up to pee-pee in his pant pants. So not much different than normal sleep. Dom is like screaming for his wife. Yeah. And old Phil, he's calm as can be. He's upstairs with the spooky effigy. Naked as the day was born. Naked as the day was born. Did we talk about the effigy yet? No. So when they go into the cabin, they're like, oh, this is like somebody's house, whatever. They go upstairs and there is like, for lack of a better word, like a wicker man with like antler hands. Yeah. And they're like, well, this is fucking creepy. And then the camera pans down and you see what appear to be human feet sticking out of the bottom of it. Like, like desiccated yeah. human feet. Yeah, when Phil sees it, he's like, guys, get the fuck up here. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you $1,000 if you sleep next to this mummy thing. No way, Jose. Turns out he did anyway. Should have taken the deal. <laughs> <laughs> and Didn't he make the deal? Oh, did he? <laughs> Whoops. He's like, I guess I owe myself $1,000 now. Self high five. <laughs> Luke kept seeing things among the trees, and his friends weren't really listening to him too closely. It seems like they were all having nightmares, like I said. And we got to see that when Luke was having his nightmare, 
he was reliving the horrible moment in the convenience store when his friend was murdered. Yeah, he just keeps going back to that memory. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna joke about this. He he's a very traumatized man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so they realize the next day that they've gotten a little off course in the rain, mm-hmm. and they feel kind of lost. But they uh, Hutch knows that if they keep heading southwest, they're going to hit the lodge they started out from. So. Dom isn't having any of that. He's like, this is a human-made trail. I am walking down this. And uh, he- Flawless logic. Everybody just follows him, which doesn't make any sense. And they well, get- he's injured. They get more lost. <laughs> they didn't want to abandon their friend, and so they would rather put all of themselves at risk. Yep. And, you know, that could be loyalty. Could be. Well, they've uh, experienced collective trauma from the loss of their friend Robert, too, so. Luke realizes they're being followed by something that he keeps seeing amongst the trees. They also find some, like, weird relics of, like, the past. Like, a, like, old tent with a credit card in it that expired in, like, 1986. A burned out uh, VW bus. Yeah. And, um... They basically belong to him now, and... uh, Wait, who belongs to what now? Anybody who trespasses belongs to it, because they're in its territory. Oh, oh, I see. We switched perspective a little bit. (laughs) The main character is now one of the children of Loki. The cryptid, or an elder one, or... Something of those na- of that nature. It's a ritual. <laughs> <laughs> for my uh, for my fellow FromSoft fans, it's a Bloodborne. Yes. Yeah. So they each get to decorate the trees um, <laughs> in honor of Loki's child. Now, when you say they decorate the trees, Uh-oh. what are you saying? <laughs> How graphic should we get? I mean, the listener needs to know what happens in this movie. (laughs) Their bodies are on display for all to see. That's right. We'll say that. They become the decorations. Right. Pretty soon, it's just Dom and Luke left, who were basically saying we're not friends anymore, but... When it's just the two of them, suddenly they're like, yeah, we're sticking together, right? Well, I mean, they have like a fight partway through the movie where they say, like, we're not friends anymore. But when shit starts to go south real fast, like, they quickly change their tune on that. Kiss, kiss, make up. Yeah. They think they found a sanctuary in a small village, but uh, lo and behold, it's a cult. And it's the cult that worships the old god. Like I said, it's a bloodborne. And so they're taken as sacrifices. Dom says bye-bye. And uh, Luke, they want him... See you later, mate. (laughs) (laughs) And Luke, they want him to join them. He's marked. Uh, But uh, he's not having any of that. Yeah, the Elder God fingered him. (laughs) Uh, Luke is like... Ew, nasty corpses in the attic. I'll burn those things. Not corpses. These are like Draugr. Yeah. These are like living, dead, like preserved beings that are in this state of like 
near desiccation, but seem to still be alive. And it's just this amazing moment where Luke is like walking through the torch and he sees one of these things like kind of look over to him and be like, and he's just like slowly just put the torch to it. With a grimace on his face. It's almost like just a calm movement. Like that can't be. He's just like, ew. Yeah, he's he's just upset at the sight of it. He's bummed out yeah. and just makes it go away with fire. <laughs> he just kind of casually lights it on fire. There's like no thought or change in expression. It's, go away now. <laughs> I love it. I, I'm done. It, yeah. it gets me every time. And then um, he... Basically, finds a gun. I mean, he's British. I guess it's similar to being an American. <laughs> yes. What is an American except for a, a reformed Brit? Mm. <laughs> what is a man but a miserable pile of guns? <laughs> <laughs> Depends so, on where you're from. Yep. So he shoots a guy, <laughs> then escapes out of uh, the the house. And uh, runs into the woods, and the uh, Loki kin chases after him. And uh, Luke soon realizes it's trying not to kill him. It wants him to supplicate himself before it. Buddy! Buddy! It poses for him, uh, trying to impress him. (laughs) Some nice muscle movements. No. Some nice genuflecting? Yes. And, uh... That's when he makes his escape. He gets past the tree line and somehow... He also stabs the thing with an axe, or like slashes the thing with an axe. That's right. Right to the maybe forehead. Torso forehead. (laughs) Yeah, this thing is a little unknowable. You gotta look up a picture of this fucking thing. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So the Loki kin can't cross the border of the trees, apparently. And they just stand there yelling at each other for a little bit. And then, uh... It's just like an argument with our neighbors. That's the end. It seems like Luke is the only one to get out alive. I'm just kidding. Our neighbors are super cool. He is. (laughs) (laughs) And he lives on happily ever after, right? I mean, if losing one friend traumatized him, then losing three friends in a rapid succession, like, he's ready for this, right? It gets easier the more in a row. (laughs) But he's, in the end, happy, healthy, and alive. Yep. At least one of those things. All right, well, we should probably move into the delve. Welcome to the delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of... The ritual. So, guys, let's talk about uh, one of our favorite subjects, trauma and loss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this whole movie could be seen as uh, a metaphor for dealing with grief. That's right. Yeah. I kind of saw it as like, if you just try to push your feelings down and try to resist the grieving process your shadow side can loom large and become kind of like a monster or turn you monstrous. And the way he was screaming at the monster at the end is him confronting it because the whole time he's tormented by his 
cowardice and his inability to take action when his friend was in danger. Right. So just to recap, the scene where Luke is in the liquor store, he's like hiding while Robert gets murdered. Yeah. And so when he's screaming at the monster, he's finally like confronted his fears at that point and fought back. And that's him. That's kind of like a metaphor for him finally allowing himself to grieve because it's almost like a yell, but like a sob at the same time. It's like a primal scream. He's he's like sobbing at the same time that he's screaming. It is. We've all been there. Distress. Yes. And it's kind of like he lost the friend. So maybe it's like if you're going to extend the metaphor, him just feeding the monster inside by not expressing his grief before caused him to alienate the people he cares about the most. Yeah, I think it's a good point. Like he is having a hard time with this feeling that he could have or should have done something when Robert was being attacked. But I mean, like is often the case when we blame ourselves for something, it's very possible that the only change to the outcome might have been that Luke would have also been killed. Yes, I thought of that too. Like the hooligans who were robbing the liquor store had a lead pipe and the one guy was like basically looking to do some violence. He was high on something. Yeah, it seemed like it. He he was gaunt. Skin and bone. And uh, when they are hiking through the woods and Dom is needing to take a break because he hurt his knee, uh, the group is complaining and whining and they all have their own complaints. Luke is like, Dom, uh, come on, man. We're only out here because of you, right? Because he hurt his knee and insisted they went into the woods. And Dom says, no, we're only out here because of you. And Luke is like, the fuck does that mean, bro? Right. Yeah. And uh, Hutch is sort of trying to get him to quiet down because Hutch is trying to be supportive. And he's the peacemaker. Yes. Not like peacemaker from the show. No. And kind of like the group leader. But Dom basically says, like, the one of the implications that Luke is responsible for Robert's death. Right. Because he did nothing. He's basically saying, like, if you had done, like, anything in the store, Robert might still be alive. But instead you hid. It's also, like, something they don't address. The thing that I might expect them to blame him for is going in there at all because they were walking home after having been in a bar and drinking all night. He, I was joking before, like he doesn't know when to stop partying. He wanted to go get more booze and they all had jobs to go to the next day. None of them wanted to keep going. And he was like basically guilt tripping Robert into going in with him. Yeah, Luke is kind of the guy who was trying to cling to this old, like, lad's night thing. Yeah. And um, he's having trouble, like, with the next stage of life they're all in. You know, he's not expressing it in a very good way. And uh, I think I would think they might blame him for, like, pushing to go get more booze. But that's not what they do. Yeah, that's right. And so Dom is blaming Luke for Robert's death, even though, uh, for starters, 
Luke did not bludgeon Robert to death. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's a that's a good way is starting basis. But also one thing that doesn't help is when Luke steps aside with Hutch. Luke says, "Is that how you feel too?" And uh, like, do you feel I should have done something different to have saved Robert? Right. Hutch says, "I don't know." I wasn't there, basically. Yeah. He's not saying he doesn't share some of those feelings with Dom, but that he's, like, trying not to. Right. And yeah. that only further alienates Luke. Yeah. I don't think they would want to, like, stop being friends, but they definitely have something to work through. There's a strain on the relationship, and unfortunately, they're never going to get a chance to work it out. Yeah. Uh, I'm laughing because I have a fucked up sense of humor, but... Hutch is pretty great, but let's just say don't get too attached. No. Unless you're a tree. <laughs> <laughs> True. So, for most of the movie, Luke, if we're going to run with the metaphor I was talking about before, he spends most of it running from his own demons, his own shadow side. Yeah. And um, it torments him in his sleep. But it also feels <sighs> like the forest kind of brings out your bad thoughts yeah it's true so the it's said that the loki kin feeds on pain and the reason he was chosen is because he has the biggest pain right and it remind it made me think that luke is tormented by his own response to danger and his own feelings that he can no longer trust himself right and uh it shatters his confidence. Well, and that is actually connected to what I perceive as like another motivating force for Luke, which is I think he's jealous. He seems to be the one of their group who kind of hasn't had his life like figured out yet. The rest of them, like one's a teacher, one's a successful businessman, like Luke is kind of the guy who's floating through life. Two of them have families with kids. Yeah, some of them have families with kids. Luke is the one who's kind of floating through life, not really sure. Like, big surprise, this is a bit of a class struggle we're talking about here. He is feeling inadequate because of the pressures that society puts on this concept of success as if there's some, like, measurable marker which, I mean, we, we we create them in our society. They tend to be related to wealth and maybe the accumulation of goods and then, like, a family, whatever yeah. that means. Um, and I think Luke is holding himself to these standards while not being able to achieve them, right? So that drives him to this kind of, like, party boy thing of, like, oh, well, I want to, like, get my friends to go out on a lad's night with me and do this whole thing. And then it creates this cycle of guilt where because he wanted to party and it's like on the one hand, understandable, right? Because he wants to like be with his old friends and like connect. And I think we all have the ability to like fall in these nostalgic reveries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He feels like he's being left behind. Yeah. And he wants a night where he can feel like he's still equal with them. Yeah, so like in a society where we didn't have these class concerns where people were taken care of, he wouldn't have this pressure on him 
to conform to somebody else's standards. Yeah. But he does, and it makes a really good motivating force behind him. Then you couple it with the trauma of losing, like, his good friend Robert and feeling responsible and everything. But it all ties up into this, like, perfect bundle of trauma and anxiety and stress. It's true. And grief. Yes. I think we can all understand the pressure to conform to this one idea of success or certain subsets of acceptable forms of success. And it can be really hard to undo the ways that our minds are colonized in that way. Right. What helps is having an open mind and like seeing other ways of being as legitimate. And then, like, being open-minded to explore that for yourself. And that's a good starting point. But we never really see Luke getting there. (laughs) No, we have to hope that he's going to get there after the years of therapy it's going to take to deal with what he just went through. Yeah. You know, exploring yourself and therapy are both great ways... To sort yourself out on the inside, and a great thing that comes from that is it allows you to better connect with your community. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And you know what else helps you connect with your community? What's that? Tell me. Art. And you know where you can get art kind of like this one? (laughs) No. Where can I get art like this? You can go visit uh, patreon.com. Slash Swords and Satire. Whoa. Oh, yeah. I love Swords and Satire. It's about as safe as a Swedish forest on there. Maybe even safer. (laughs) I hope so. But you know what is there instead of monsters? Bigger monsters? Or extra art and episodes of us. Monstrously good. That's right. Creative projects that we work on, like rewriting history, where we do crossovers, rewrites, or mashups. Nice. That sounds pretty great. That's right. Of the media that we consume. Very fun. Tasty media. That's right. I've heard a rumor that you also let your patrons vote on a movie each month that you watch. That's a dirty lie. I mean, that is absolutely true. (laughs) We do let our patrons vote every month on a movie we watch. That's right. This month, we watch The Witch, thanks to our patrons. That's true. That's right. We'll release polls monthly that you can make a selection from. We also sometimes have fun little art, be it ducks or movie posters, and some great content on our outtakes. Ooh, those outtakes, they're spicy. They're funny. They're spicy. They're cringe. (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes all at once. (laughs) So if you got a few extra Swedish currencies laying around. Kronar? Maybe. (laughs) Why don't you ski on over there to patreon.com slash swords and satire. Anyway, let's ski back to the episode. Guys, my legs are tired from all the skiing we're doing. I don't even know how. (laughs) I better get some snowshoes. (laughs) Wait, it's like fall or spring during this movie, right? Maybe. I think it's summer. (laughs) Ah, nice, beautiful, gray Swedish summer. We've got all our bases covered. (laughs) We know it's not winter. Whoops, the Eldritch Fifth season. (laughs) Slurptarb. I love Slurptarb. (laughs) 
You get to eat blorungal for the traditional holiday dish. And then we cheer a hearty gaslarp. Oh, the gaslarp. So, the, I'm thinking about the Lokikin, the, the cryptid. The monster, as society might call it. The big chungus in the woods. Yeah. That is the best description of it. Let's describe this bad boy. Oh, boy. It's quite simple, really. It's like a fleshy elk with hands where you do not expect hands to be. And a face where you don't expect it to be that almost looks like it's wearing a hood, but it's all flesh. It's like <laughs> a it's like a big horse elk with a human body for a head. <laughs> <laughs> and antlers on where the shoulders should be. And there's no head where the head is, but there's a head where the crotch is. <laughs> true, true. And, then, and there's more arms there. Yeah. Let me go get my serrated cleaver axe from Bloodborne. Yes. <laughs> and one of the things that it can do is extend the life of the cultists that follow it. But Sweet deal. <sighs> It did, it never said anything about eternal youth. <laughs> no, or beauty. <laughs> Just eternal life. You get to live forever. Oh, that sounds great. I can, like, move around and uh, be beautiful. Oh, yeah. Hence why there's Draugr there. They're actually still alive, but their bodies are, like, decaying around them. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to get put in a, like, dehydrator and, like, be, get turned into beef jerky, but, like, you don't die at all? Yes, actually, I have. Well, and where so, do I sign up? And the uh, Lokikin keeps them around because it feeds on their pain. And it sends them nightmares in their sleep so it can get even more tasty treats. Boy, it's like a capitalist, am I right? <laughs> yeah. Um, a billionaire living out in the woods. Uh, so we see this happening with the group of friends that's traveling. And especially that night, they stay in the cabin. There's something going on with Dom and his relationship with his wife, Gail. Yes. He's afraid of losing her, perhaps. It seems like it. Because he, he's in a nightmare where he's, like, calling out her name like he's looking for her. I feel like every character has something going on in their life that is distracting them, but it's not always easy to read. And I like that. I think that's a good choice for the film. There's something that ca is causing them each pain. You have to, like... Pull it out from the acting and from the dialogue and everything. And I think that makes the movie like a fun mystery. Fun being a relative term. And I wanted to kind of explore each person. So that's Dom. Then there's Phil, who I think is a doctor, maybe. And he's, he's successful enough that he can make a thousand dollar bet with somebody. Yeah. Uh, he's the one. Pretty sure that's Phil. Who is. It is supplicating himself before the statue when he was having a nightmare and he's like nude and he's like <laughs> shaking in front of it. He's afraid, but also worshiping it at the same time. He's struggling with something about his own faith, maybe. 
Yeah, he's kind of freaked out by... I mean, obviously, he's freaked out by this uh, loss of control. Yeah, he that's fears, it. Yeah. Yeah. And he fears the old blood. <laughs> You're right. As he should. After that fact, he keeps going on about how he would never do that. And, like, the the fear for him is, like, yeah, not being able to have his own autonomy, control his own actions. That's a good point, Jamie. And, like, as probably the most successful of the friends, like, he probably feels this kind of weird, tenuous relationship with his own wealth and success and, like, seeing himself as kind of having a weird position amongst the friends. Yeah, he doesn't have a big head or anything, though. He's very reasonable, and he's sort of the first or second, probably at the same time as Luke. Does he, maybe even a little before, start considering that something supernatural is going on? Hmm. After that, well, when he sees the effigy, he's like, well, that's fucked up. That's witchcraft, right? Yeah. And so they're like, oh, come on, man. And then after the nightmares. It really bothered him. He didn't want to stay there. No, he didn't want to stay there at all. And uh, after the nightmares, when they're walking out and he was praying to it, he's like, I never would have prayed to that thing. Not in a million years. Yeah. And uh, there, he's like, something made me do that. And his friends, who are all really scared, are like, come on, man, don't start doing this. Don't lose your head. Nothing happened. It was just like a nightmare. He's like, he immediately ignores all the, like, trying to rationalize that his friends are doing. He just says again, never would have done that. Yeah. Not me. I wouldn't have done that. I think... The implications for what is going on with Hutch is pretty dark. All we get is that he urinated on himself in the night. (laughs) (laughs) You're laughing now, but wait till I tell you what I think. Oh, Um, no. I said, ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) So I think about when people might, you know, wet the bed, wet themselves when they're asleep. When they're really, really scared. Right. And it can happen to people in childhood. Mm -hmm. And it's when, usually when a child feels unsafe or has a lack of security or is dealing with abuse of some type, that they will have trouble with that. Right. And so I think that he's struggling with something like that. Mm. Or he did in the past. And he and still has dealt with it. Yeah, and it's bringing it back up through the nightmares he was having. And he is the one who kind of has this need to fix fights, right? Yeah. And where do we often, like, those of us who are prone to that kind of behavior, where do we often pick that up? From our parents. Yeah, a, a dysfunctional family. As a child of a dysfunctional family, like... That was always my go-to was to try to solve the fight. Be the peacemaker. Yeah. And yeah. that's what that's Hutch. Yeah. He doesn't want them to fight. He just wants to smooth things over and stop fights before they even really get going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is really good at it. But his yeah. friends are highly distressed and emotional people with no control of their emotions, I yeah. should say. 
I have this feeling like the actors were doing that thing where it's like your character has a secret that only you know, or like either that was intentionally done or, and I'm wondering like, did the other actors know? Cause the acting is very good. Like the yeah. way that they play off of each other is excellent. Yeah. So Hutch could have been abused when he was young and scared and maybe it tickled him, and it left his hand in a bowl of water. And you know, I mean, this is a Loki can. So, right. with all four of those factors, he probably peed his pants for that, like, definitely. Yeah. And then it peed on his pants. He's like, wait a minute. Touch, touch. That's not my urine. <laughs> How do you know from touch? What? Something spooky is going on here. Look, it's it's troll pee. All right. You know. So with Luke, we've already discussed his response and what he's dealing with quite a bit. But what we could add is that his worst fear seems to be his own response to danger. Yes. He has a fear of freezing up when something is going wrong. Mm hmm. And. He his desire is to hide and flee. So he's more of like the flee response or the freeze. Kind of a mixture. I know I guess you you're right cuz like when the hooligans come out, he like ducks behind the corner, yeah. right? Yeah. So he does have the drive to get away from it. Yeah. And so what torments him is this fear of himself, really. Yeah, it's true. He doesn't he he's ashamed of himself. Yeah. And his trust in himself is shattered. And it was already on life support before. <laughs> the best way to get your trust back is to kill a literal monster. They or to fight a little mon literal mo <laughs> to fight a little monster. To fight a literal monster. Yeah. And Luke is not like a soldier. Or from a warrior culture? No, no. He's from Britain. So the fact that there is the <laughs> assumption, my God, that was high impact. <laughs> the most aggression he sees in a day is being flamed by Americans online for having beans on toast. <laughs> What's the matter? You didn't win the crumpet wars. <laughs> And so the fact that he's getting shamed for not violently attacking people to defend his friend, mm -hmm. it's not something we're taught how to do regularly no. in our society as no. a Western culture. Yeah. And we're expected to be nonviolent if we can help it, unless you are encouraged to go into the army. But like, as far as we can tell, Luke is just some guy. And I think it's masculinity that is why... He and all his lad friends, who are all guys, are like, oh, why didn't you fight him, right? Yeah, I was. I felt like you might have been going there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's this expectation, and, like, I've met so many people over the years who are like, oh, well, if I was on a hijacked plane, that plane wouldn't be hijacked anymore because I would go beat up the hijacker. Because I would have hijacked the plane. <laughs> oh, my what God. What the fuck? You know... Jack and I have been watching this show called Alone, and it's where people go 
into the wilderness to survive for as long as they can and they'll get a prize at the end and they're competing against nine other people. And one guy... What if they were cooperating with nine other people? That'd be That nice. would be amazing. They would live out there for as long, like a long time. <laughs> That'd be called not alone. <laughs> <laughs> together. Yeah. <laughs> Survive together. Now um, I want to watch together. Me too. Yeah. So, yeah, one of the hardest parts is being alone and being surrounded by predators. <laughs> um, like Loki, Ken, and Wendigos. Yeah. Or like living in the city. There was one... <laughs> hey uh, and there's no... I'm not saying this guy should be ashamed or anything i'm just talking about the bravado involved with the men that go into these situations right so they usually are like oh i'm gonna be out there for a year they'd lucky be lucky to make it 30 days yeah uh, it's from really what we've tough. seen but this one guy in particular he was a veteran he had been in harsh conditions he knew he could survive it he was bragging about, specifically about facing off against mountain lions and how they would be afraid of him. Right. Okay. He was specifically This is every customer I had at the hardware store. About that aspect. And then he goes in, he's exploring the woods. He hears a large thing moving through the foliage, and then he gets a glimpse of a mountain lion. He hides. This is the first afternoon. Damn. He hightails it back to the coast. Reasonable. And calls in for the rescue team and he taps out. Yeah. I mean, reality sets in. And, yeah. And like, like you said, there's no shame in this. No. Absolutely not. Every time somebody taps out, we're like, they did the right yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th there is this expectation um, you know, this very gendered expectation about like right. what we call manliness or like the manly response. And it's to punch the problem, stare the problem down, pretend like the problem's not there. And that's not a healthy response. Like for no. one, humans are social animals. This is what we are designed to do. We talked about this last week with the witch. Like William takes his family as like, oh, we're going to be fine. That's not how humans exist. Like, you are supposed to be part of a community. You're supposed to have connections to people outside of your own family. And you're supposed to be able to rely on members of that community to provide for you because human needs are so complicated, you can't just get them from, like, a small insular group. Yeah. It just doesn't work. Which is why, you know, amongst other reasons, this story of this film, The Ritual, is so heartbreaking because Luke loses everybody who matters to him. I know. And what is left? I mean, his life. I mean, it's this bittersweet <laughs> thing, right? Where it's like, we kind of have a final boy. Yeah. Like in the tradition of like horror movie, like the final girl. Well, there's no... There's, like, basically no women in this movie at all, right? Except for, like, the... Cultists. The cultists and, like, the, like, beat-up uh, store clerk, which is maybe not ideal. But I, I understand what they're doing with the storytelling as far as, like, a group of male friends who... I feel like that is significant to the plot in some ways. But, um... It's kind of like their limiting masculinity that gets them in trouble. <laughs> yeah, in a way, like they set out. That's part with, of the tragedy of it. Yeah, they set out with like good intentions to kind of live this honor for their friend, like live yeah. out this honor for their friend it's who good passed intentions, away. Yeah, but they're coming at it with a lot of 
bitterness towards each other and animosity towards each other. And then it's one of these movies where we go, my point about like the final boy thing, right? Is like, yeah, he survives, but how much worse off is he at the end of this movie? Like, okay, you made it out, but we don't really like the implication of the end of the movie is almost worse because he realized that he wanted to fight for the friendships that he had, but it was too late. Yeah. And like, like what's going to happen when he gets back to like other people? He's going to be kind of alienated if he can't keep dealing with all the trauma that's thrown his way. Yeah. Well, uh, I assume he's probably going to meet up with the wives and children of his friends. And if they blame him for even a second, he'll hit them with an axe, which is what he learned through his character arc in the film. Oh, God. (laughs) Now it's the only way he knows how to respond to anything. Masculinity. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, this movie's ending, like, at first you might feel like, oh, he made it out, that's great. And then as soon as you take a step back and think about the implications, like... Luke's life is not going to go well from here on. It was already like maybe not on the best trajectory. And now it's just so much worse. How is he ever going to tell someone about a Jotun? Yeah. Killing all his friends and there being a cult in the Swedish forest. Yeah. I mean, if he doesn't like get arrested for burning down a village in the middle of the forest. Yeah. You know, Loki, what, like, like from Marvel? No, no. Like the God. Okay. Well, it's one of his kids, bastard offspring. Yeah. Uh, some sort of demigod in the woods. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Any psychic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He does something about the woman that calls him a bastard son. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, unfortunately. Um, the sad thing is that I meant what I meant before was the limiting form of masculinity. Sure. That they're all exhibiting. They are through... Uh, the hardship of this journey, it's kind of coming out and causing them to be kind of spiky around each other. Mm -hmm. But then they're also working through it and they actually start talking, but then it's like kind of too late. Yeah, obstacles keep popping up in front of their path and it's like, this is a dark film. Yeah. And the implications of it are kind of heartbreaking. But it does show that when they do start talking to one another and stop just exploding out with anger that they get closer yeah so that's a cool thing (laughs) they just lose it very rapidly unfortunately yeah well it is a horror movie yeah well guys i think we should probably head into the smithy and rate this monster Welcome to the Smithy, where we each forge a rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature from the film. Cass, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating between one and ten hand axes? (laughs) Sure. Sounds good. My epic feature is the Loki-kin. Of course. You beat me to it. Yeah, I know. Obviously. Sorry. I think it's so cool like how do the cultists think of it as a loki kin since it's psychic maybe it communicated that to them oh it does speak 
That's right. It can speak. It's it could be lying too. That's true. Which just proves it's a Loki kin. Oh, good point. Oh, it's one of those conundrums. Um, yeah, I mean, it is extending their lives, and it has powers of illusion. Oh, this motherfucker is magic as hell. Yeah, but horrifyingly it's a, so, it's a beautiful creature that just wants to decorate the forest and have true. friends. I like Halloween decorations too. <laughs> Every generation of its subjects is still alive, which means it could be direct knowledge that it's a Loki kin from the original cultist. Oh, that's true. true. Good point. They can still speak. They have vocal cords. Kind of. <laughs> What's that, Grandpa? <laughs> it's wrapped up in the cord. Um. So... It's just such a beautiful, unknowable being. Just when I think I understand its form, I, it, it unfolds it, something it slips new from my mind. It starts posing. I love the posing it does near the end. You know, a lot of times <laughs> movie monsters like don't live up to the hype, and you're like, "Oh, I really wish they didn't show more of it." In this film, you'll want to see it, and it is very interesting. Mm -hmm. You like to look at it. Yeah. It is cool. And you you see it more than you expect to see it, whether you know you're looking at it or not. <laughs> its skin reminds me of a hairless cat. <laughs> like a shaved bear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It's, Google that. <laughs> it's creepy. Or a hairless ape. Um. So, I love this movie. It has great atmosphere and... Emphasis on fear. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll take I, the Atmos. <laughs> I love the way that uh, all of the actors really bring their all and you really feel like they're good friends, but they're, everything's coming undone. And yeah, I like the design of the monster. I think it's great. And I think it has some nice weight to it. I feel like it's really there and present. It's CG, but I, I really feel it there in the space. Yeah, they probably got like another different monster to be on set for doing the filming so that they the actors could work off of that. Andy Circus. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, so versatile. Yeah. I'm gonna give this a nine out of ten axes. Throwing Sweet. axes. Wheat. Yeah. Hand axes. Hand axes. There you go. Very nice. One of those. <laughs> How about you, Jack? What's your epic moment or feature and then your rating from one to ten? Hand axes. Let me tell you. Please do. I will. My epic moment or feature has got to be that first night in the forest. Ooh. With the, the cabin. cabin and the nightmares. It's good. It is so cool. The effigy is really unsettling looking. It's made out of a bunch of twigs. Very creepy. It has no head. Yeah. That we are aware of. As antlers for hands, and the feet are actually human hands that are sticking out. Oh, hands. Because that's where the monster's arms are. That's right. Where a human's legs would be, its, its arms are there. Yeah, it's only part of the being. <laughs> yeah. And that the effigy is so cool. I love the reason they hold up in that shack is because there's that thunderstorm. Yes. And... In the night, Luke is sort of restless, and there are flashes of thunder, and one of the flashes of lightning just 
it lights up the room and it doesn't go away. The light just stays. And it is so jarring. You're like, whoa, what the fuck? And that's the first time he goes outside. He opens the door and he sees the convenience store. And you're like, wait, what the hell is happening? The fluorescent lights. And the aisles are like amongst all the trees and other foliage and everything. Yeah, the floor is the moss-covered forest floor. Yeah. And every time we see this convenience store in his visions from that point on, it's less and less of the store and more of the forest. Yeah. And uh, he just relives that a little bit. And he picks up the vodka bottle that he was holding when it was actually happening. He sort of jerks back a little bit like he was impacted by something. He sees a drop of blood suddenly in the vodka bottle. And when there's a scream, he's pulled out of it as one of the books, as one of the store shelves flies backwards and you see the branches moving like something huge just ran out of view into the forest. Yeah. And the thing that shoved him back, he looks down at his chest. He sees he was stabbed in five places. Mm-hmm. And that was him getting the mark of the... Of Beast. The, well, I was going to say that, but mark of the Jotun. And then just seeing Phil praying to the effigy, seeing the PP Panzer, <laughs> seeing... Uh, I forgot about that Yule head. Yes. Seeing Dom just in a state of agony the way I like it. Uh, <laughs> it's just that scene has everything. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah. So I think that scene was super epic. Now, when it comes to the movie as a whole, the ritual monster looks so cool. Yes. The child of Loki is just so badass. The movie, it has its themes so in your face. It's like friend group went through a loss. Mm-hmm. He's ashamed of how he handled it. And by the end, he overcomes it. It's a very simple plot thread. Yeah. They're stuck in a forest with a monster. The monster is cool. And I, you know, I like the way it resolves the themes that it set up. It's such a simple monster movie. Yeah. It does just a flawless job. I'd say, well, mostly flawless. The only thing I would say is there are a few places where it's like, okay, we get what's happening here. It dragged a little bit just because... It was very obvious with some of its themes that when it dwelled on it, I felt it dwelled maybe a few minutes too long. Hey, did we mention this is a movie about loss and trauma and grief? Exactly. But the movie is so freaking cool. I'm also going to give it a 9 out of 10 axes. Uh, I've already seen it like five times. I'm going to see it like probably many, many more times. (laughs) It's, It's so awesome. And I highly encourage you to go watch it yeah it's a ritual but what about you jamie what's your epic moment and or feature and rating out of one to ten axes yeah tell us jamie i'm glad you asked (laughs) i think my epic feature is just the really effective storytelling techniques that they use yes we don't need to we you know we spell out things in the beginning as far as like why they have lost a friend, right? And like I think you could do a version of this where you reveal that information without showing the scene, but ah, then yeah. we get the effective scenes of seeing Luke going back into that moment. And I think that that's very efficient because in a way, the first time we see it, it almost seems like 
Luke is still in a reverie while they're on the mountain. Like, it almost feels to me like he, that is a flashback for him. Yes. It's a flashback for us as the viewers, but I think that, like, the way it, like, jarringly comes back in on Luke's face at the end of that scene, and they're on the mountain. And he's it, waking up. Or he's waking up, right. It feels like he is coming out of that moment. He and had I, a nightmare. So I think that's a really efficient way of showing that instance and then keeping coming back to it because then we get the scene of him in the cabin rehabbing, you know, reliving this again. Later when they're camping out again. And it actually changes a little bit every time. Yeah. So I think that that's a really good way to kind of do what we do in real life, right? Where we really imagine moments in our life that we wish had changed. We well, relive them. Yeah. If we're tormented by them, like in one of the iterations that he relives, Robert lifts his head up that's all bloody and yeah. stares at him accusingly. Yeah, it's it's a really effective moment. Yeah. That one where his friend is like, why, you know, kind of posthumously, like, why didn't you help me? Type it's his of, own guilt. And that's, and that's Luke's own guilt, which I think is really efficient. And just the whole way that the, the movie does a really nice sparse storytelling. We don't get the really direct information. We don't get Dom going like, oh boy, guys, my wife is sure mad at me. We don't get Hutch saying like, oh boy, you guys know how traumatized I was by these things because it really reinforces the theme even more, right? These are guys who don't talk about their problems. Yeah. They're not going out. Like They have one immediate issue, and that is their friend died a year ago. He wanted to do this trip. They're doing it in his honor. They're not going to go back and be like, oh, well, we're going to sort through like all of our past traumas because that's not the type of guys we're dealing with. They like probably know enough about each other and each other's backstories from their youth. And then there's a lot of questions they probably have about what's going on right now because they've kind of lost touch to some extent, but they're not going to like be talking about it. And I think that that builds up this sense of uncertainty and isolation in a really efficient way. I think that this is kind of an exemplar of good storytelling. Yeah. And now that I know that it's based on a book, I mean, I'm not surprised because you you can imply these bigger worlds from the backstory that probably existed in the novel, assuming that it's closely based on it. It's kind of simple and complex at the same time, because it's like the delivery is simple yes. and straightforward, but there are many layers going on here that it, are just hinted at and you have to kind of glean for yourself. Exactly. There's so much you can read into this. And like, I think it's totally valid to say that somebody could watch this movie and get different backstories and backgrounds for these characters and kind of imprinting your own experiences on them. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be just as valid because it is such efficient storytelling. So with all that being said, I feel like we've been really in lockstep lately, but I can't disagree that nine out of 10 axes feels like the right number. I'd almost give it a 10 out of 10 just because I think it's a movie that people should watch, but I feel like I keep doing that <laughs> and I don't want to like keep going to the well with that, but this is definitely a movie to watch. I mean, this is my third time seeing it, and I rarely rewatch movies these days. Like, it feels pure and kind of like a masterpiece. 
But it, it, for me, it was just a little bit of a pacing issue at times. Yeah, I understand what you're saying because it does kind of rehash certain ideas, but it's still a nice, tight 90 minutes. And you guys yeah. know that I love a solid 90-minute film. And it is able to cover everything so well that I don't feel like I'm missing much of anything. Yeah, but some of the stuff maybe being a little redone throughout the movie, and I don't know that I get everything I want out of the cultists. I think there could be a little bit more there. Maybe that would end up being disappointing, but like exploring what they're about a little bit more, maybe. But then again, I also like the uncertainty of it because Luke only knows so much about them. Yeah, we don't get a lot of their culture. It's more just like they are slaves. Yeah. And I think that works. But yeah, I mean, I think that this is like one of the movies that I would call like a horror essential. Yeah. A modern horror essential. Definitely. It just does everything so well in such a tight package. And, you know, after watching Bruckner's Hellraiser, like this is a director who knows how to make a good horror movie. Yeah. And I'm really happy that we are completing our spooky ween I mean, I'm not. I wish we could extend it for the rest of the year or like the rest of time. But I I know what you mean. We can, but just for our show. Yeah. And uh, next week, we're going to be covering Luca with our friend and patron, Alicia. I'm very excited to talk about that movie with Alicia. She was a big proponent of doing this movie. And uh, as one of our producers, she got to select an episode. Yeah. Very, very cool. I'm looking forward to talking with her about it, too. In fact, it I, I'm so excited. It feels like I've already lived through the experience. Yeah. Well, that's the amazing thing about doing cool, creative projects with your best friends. That's right. It could just be so anticipated. It felt like it happened months in the past. <laughs> <laughs> and... I'm looking forward to seeing the memes that Jamie's going to release for that on social media. If you guys want to see them, you can go to uh, any of your social medias. As long as those social medias are Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Exactly. I don't think we're on TikTok yet. Because I know we're not. Because (laughs) if we were, I would be the one who made it. Yeah. And... uh, uh, our handle is at swords and satire. 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 The only one T. It's not satire. <laughs> it's satire. <laughs> but you know, one of the best things you can do besides following us on social media or joining our Patreon is getting the word out about our show by writing us a review. We would certainly appreciate it, as long as it's five stars. If not, don't bother. If Cass said it, I can't argue. (laughs) That's right. And other forms of review which are incredibly helpful are supporting us on Patreon like we mentioned earlier. However, if you don't have a few extra bucks to slide our way and you don't want to leave a review online, another great way you can support us is by reviewing us in person. Yeah. To your friends and family. And minor acquaintances. Or strangers. Yeah. Just prototizes to everybody on the street. Just tap someone on the shoulder who's wearing headphones because that means they want to (laughs) talk. 
and you just say, hey, what are you listening to? Is it swords and satire? And before they can answer, tell them about swords and satire. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, what's a better way to enjoy your favorite media than with literally anybody? Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Everything's better with somebody. Especially <laughs> the people you like. Oh, poor Luke. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> Luke will be your friend. That's right. Yeah. We, the one collective friend. But yeah, tell your friends, tell your family. You'll all like listening to it together. You'll have a real pee-pee-poo-poo time. A grand old time. Well, until that time comes, Hail Crawl!